Well, back in 2003 in the World Series, the New York Yankees outscored the Florida Marlins by 21 to 17 over a six-game series. 2013, the San Antonio Spurs scored five more points than the Miami Heat during the NBA Finals. 2016, just two years ago during the, the Super Bowl, the Panthers had 120 more yards and five minutes more of ball control than what the Broncos did. And then in just this past year's Stanley Cup, the Nashville Predators, they actually outshot the Penguins by 30 shots over a six-game series. And then in our last presidential election, Hillary Clinton got three, almost three million more votes than what Donald Trump did. Now, anyone want to take a guess where I'm going with each one of those things? They all lost. That in each and every case, that team, or in the, the case of Hillary Clinton that had more votes, they ended up losing. Now, some of you are going, well, that's not fair. But here's what you need to realize. Every game, every contest, every election has a very clear definition of what it means to win. It doesn't matter what we think is fair. You have to look at the rules, the, the regulations of how a, a series or an election is set up, and then you devise a strategy based on that. The, the great uh, American evangelist, his name was D.L. Moody, he actually said this, our greatest fear should not be of failure, but of succeeding at something that doesn't really matter. In each one of the examples that I gave to you, it didn't matter if you scored more runs or had more points in a series. It didn't matter if you had more yards or more time of ball control in the Super Bowl. It didn't matter if you outshot your opponent in the Stanley Cup. It didn't matter if you got more votes than the other person did. That wasn't what a win looked like. We don't get to define what a win looks like. You devise a strategy based on what does a win look like. And so today, as we're continuing our series called Game Day, I want to talk to you about a little bit more of what we started on last week, and that is that each of us need to have a game plan. But here's what we need to understand. Even if you have a game plan, if you don't have a strategy that clearly defines, okay, th this is what the win looks like, it doesn't matter how good your game plan is, because uh, we talked about it last week. Sometimes people, they've climbed the ladder of success, but they have the ladder leaning against the wrong wall. Does this make sense? Unless you know what a win looks like, you'll never be able to put together a good strategy, a good game plan. And so that's what we're going to attempt to do today is to clarify what exactly does a win look like. How do you have a good game plan? Now, as I showed last week, many people have just simply given up. You know, they don't have a game plan anymore. They're just trying to survive. And then you have some people that are like, well, you know, success. That's what a win looks like, if I'm successful. The problem with that is oftentimes the, the world defines what it means to be successful, or you're defining what it means to be successful. And what we got to get to the place of is going, okay, what does God say a successful look like, uh, what a, a successful life looks like? How would he define a win? Because once we know how God defines a win, then we're able to put together the game plan in order to fulfill that. 
As we get started today, I want to show you, actually, it's a, a picture my sister found at my grandfather's house. My grandfather passed away last year, and they're sort of cleaning things out and everything. And uh, she, she sent this to me here uh, just recently. Look, look at this picture there. I, I'm uh, guessing I'm probably about two or, or three um, in that picture there. Now, if you would ask little Gilbert there, what do you want to be when you grow up? He'd have said, I want to be a firefighter. That's what I want to be. I want to be a firefighter. How many guys want to be a firefighter when you grow up? Any other guys want to be a firefighter? Or maybe a policeman or a professional athlete. Maybe you want to be an astronaut. Guys, how many? Yeah? All right. L ladies, how many of you wanted to be like a princess or a nurse or maybe a veterinarian? How many ladies you wanted to be one of those things? Right? right? We, we all have these, these dreams. Now, let me ask you another question. How many of you are actually doing the thing that you dreamt of as a little kid, that that's actually your profession today? All right, I, I just see a, a couple hands that are up. Now, the, the, point, the point is, you know, whether you are or not, that, that, that wasn't the point. Here, here's my point. From a very early age, we are hardwired in us to have this desire to figure out life, to know what am I supposed to do with my life? Every single one of us. And again, as I, I said last week, many people have just given up on that. As a kid, you had this dream. But now you're just trying to survive. You're just trying to get by. As I said a little bit earlier, you know, some people are like, okay, I'm just trying to be successful. But we've got to figure out what does God want me to do? And I share with you last week that sort of that that. Third step, the, the thing we should be striving for is significance. Because significance is a thing that you don't define, God defines that for you. Look at Proverbs chapter 16, verse 4. It says, God made everything with a place and a purpose. Now let me ask you a question. Does everything include you? Are you a part of everything? Yeah. So what's this saying about you? that you have a place and you have a, a purpose, right? We all have a purpose in our lives. There is a reason for your existence, and that is what you need to discover. Did Jesus have a purpose? Did Jesus have a purpose when he, when he came to the earth? Did, did he know this is what my Father would have for me to do while I'm here? He did, didn't he? And Jesus gets to the end of his life, and in John chapter 17, verse 4, he's praying to God the Father, and he says this, I brought, you, or I brought glory to you here on earth by completing the work that you gave me to do. Wouldn't that be cool to get to the end of your life and be able to pray to God the Father and say, Father, I have completed the work that you gave for me to do here on the earth. But you can't pray that prayer unless you know the work that God's called you to do. You can't know unless you, you've clarified what does a win look like in, in my life. And once you know that, now you have a, a target to be shooting for. So again, how do you know what God's calling you to do? Well, you, you've really got two options. Two options. I put it on your outline this way. To know what God has for me to do, I must depend either on speculation or revelation. 
Again, you're, you're depending on either speculation or revelation. Speculation is simply you guessing, what am I here for? What am I supposed to be doing with my life? And your guess is as good as mine on that, right? If you're just speculating. But revelation, that is God sharing with you. Okay, here is exactly the plan that I have for you. Here's what a win looks like. Again, once you know what a win looks like, now you're able to put together a strategy, a plan to accomplish that. So speculation or revelation. Let me illustrate it for you this way. Imagine for a second that you, uh, tomorrow afternoon, you, you get home from work and there's a FedEx package that's lying there on your front doorstep and you're like, I wasn't expecting anything. You know, what, what, what in the world is this? And so you take it inside and you, you open it up and, and there's no return address or anything and you just pull out this thing and it, it looks like this. And the only thing that's in the box is a little note. There's no instruction manual. There's just a little note that says, this could save your life, use with care. Now you can start to guess. How is this going to save my life? And you could start to just experiment, you know. Maybe, you know, if my nose hairs are too long, you know, you just jam that up in there. and you know, That may be taking your life, not saving your life, but you know, is it, is it, you know, I'm going to have this itch on my back that's so bad that I like to reach behind with this thing and like, you know, no, that, that doesn't necessarily save my life either. You just keep looking at it. And you just like call your kids or your spouse and you're like, hey, let me, let me just poke you with this thing a little bit. See what, see what happens. Anybody have a guess what this is? Uh, again, we, we could speculate all day. But, but here's, the, here's the smarter thing to do. You investigate what this thing is and you track down the inventor of this particular product and you say, hey, could you teach me how to use this? Or at least give me an instruction manual of how to use this thing. Wouldn't that make more sense? Don't just start jabbing people or yourself with it. Find out from the inventor what it's meant to do what it's used for. Now, before I keep going, let me tell you what it is. This was actually invented back in the 1800s by a French doctor, and it's called an artificial leech. Basically, up to that point, you know, if you had infection or whatever, they would put leeches on you to suck all the, the stuff out. This is basically an artificial version of that. You, you jam it into the infected area, and it's got that little spring-loaded thing, and it would just sort of suck the stuff out. Yeah, wow. <laughs> and I'm ready to pass out. <laughs> Here's the point. Your life is the exact same way as that. Life is complex. It, it, it's very difficult to figure it out. And so instead of just guessing what you're supposed to do with life, instead of just speculating what you're supposed to be doing, wouldn't it make more sense to go to God, the creator, and say, God... Could you tell me how to use this thing called life? What does a win look like? Or even if, if you're not going to tell me, at least give me like an instruction manual or something to try to figure it out. And what would God say to you? I already have. It's called the Bible. This is the instruction book for life. You see, in the same way that a car is designed to run off of gasoline, your life was designed to be run off of every single word 
that is in this book. Again, this is the instructions of how to, how to be wise. In fact, look at, at Scripture in Psalm chapter 119, verse 105. David is writing and he says, Your word is like a lamp for my feet and a light for my path. You are never going to have lasting significance. You're never going to find your purpose in life until you realize that the wisdom of this world, it's found in here, not on cable news, not what's going on in your head, but by going to the creator, the inventor, and saying, God, give me the instructions for how to figure this thing out. What does a win look like? And he says, it's all right here. And so what I want to do today is give you three questions that you can ask yourself and then use God's word as a filter to help you start to discover what will a win look like for you? Because there, there's certain things that for all of us a win's going to look like as you know, as the human race, but then there's a specific thing that God has placed you here on the earth to do. And these questions are going to get you starting to think along this line. And as we continue on in the series, we'll unpack this even more. So here's the first question. What will I center my life around? What will I center my life around? Many people say, well, my life is centered around my spouse or my kids or my grandkids, my career, my, my hobbies, my goals that I have. And you know, those are all good things, but please don't center your life around those things. And there, there's a, a reason for that. You know, I don't care how great your kids are or how great your spouse is, when the storms of life come, and they will come, yes, your spouse, yes, your kids, they're going to be there, they're going to support you and love you and pray for you and stuff, but they're not God. They can't solve all of your problems. You know, Lisa and I, we've been married 22 years now, and I love her and she loves me. We're there for each other and through every single thing, but there's sometimes that just the, the cares and the weight of life, she can't help me with that, and I can't help her with that. Only Jesus can be there. Only Jesus is the glue that can hold life together. See, people will always let you down. Things will always let you down. I don't care how much money you make. I don't care how much you're striving to be happy. All those things will eventually let you down. Only Jesus won't. I share with you last week, I love Nate's point that he made, and I think it was the, the second week of his series while I was gone, uh, about having that, that plumb line. And it, it doesn't matter, you know, you could be over here theologically or over here theologically or up here politically or down here politically. I mean, all of us somewhere, you know, we're, we're on this, this map, you know, we're big, small, we're athletic, we're not athletic, we're, you know, male, female, it, you know, it, everybody plots somewhere along the thing. But you got to keep Jesus at the center. He has got to be at the center of your life. You'll never have a win in your life if Jesus isn't at the center. And so again, this is one of those questions that as you answer it, this, this is the same for everybody. What am I going to put at the center of my life? Or who am I going to put at the center of my life? And it's got to be Jesus. It's got to be about Him and His agenda, not your own. 
You know, one of the, the scriptures we look at a, a lot around here, Jesus was asked by one of the, the religious leaders today, it's like, you know, Jesus, out of all 613 commands in the Old Testament, which one's the most important? You remember what Jesus said? Uh, let, let's look at it together. In Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 to 38, Jesus says, you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all your soul, and all of your mind. In other words, put Jesus first. Put God first. Have him at the center. Why is this important? Well, Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom. Knowledge of the Holy One results in good judgment. Look, if you're going to have a win in life, you're going to have to be wise. If, if you want to have good judgment of what should I do, what, what's the next step I should take, you're going to need God's wisdom, His guidance. And so we've got to put Him, number one, you're never going to understand who you are or God's purpose for your life until you get to know Him more and more and more and more. And the full revelation of who God is is all found right in here. And the picture of Him as the Son, Jesus. It's all right here. Our job is to continue to become more and more and more like Jesus. Which brings me to the second point. Have I defined who I want to be, not just what I want to do? You ever thought about that? What am I trying to become in this life? You know, oftentimes when you meet somebody for the first time and after like a little bit of, you know, just small talk type things, what, what's the next question that, that you ask them after, you know, you know how you doing, and, you know, nice to meet you. What's, the, what's usually the first question you ask somebody? Yeah, what, what do you do for a living? And, you know, people tell you, you know, I'm a, I'm a doctor, I'm a teacher, I'm a CEO, I, I, you know, work at a factory, I'm a salesperson, whatever. Here's my, here's my concern. A lot of people, if you said, what is your life mission? They would answer in somewhat the same way. I'm a mom, I'm a dad, I'm a business owner. I work at a factory, I work at a department store. Or they would define it by, you know, I've got this goal, you know, I want to retire to Florida or you know, I want to, okay, maybe, maybe not right now, but, you know, uh, you know. You know, they, they would define it by their, 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 their goals and by what they do. And again, there's nothing wrong with those things. But that can't be your, your mission in life. You know, people will say, well, you know what I want to do? I, I just, I I want to be the best parent ever. That's what I'm going to do. Again, that, that's great, but that can't be your life mission. Because one day your kid's going to grow up and move out of the house. Then, then what are you going to do? Is your life over? You're going, but Gilbert, I'm going to be their parent their whole life. Yeah, you will. But your level of influence won't be the same once they're gone. You, you can't let that be what... What, what's driving you? That is not what a win 
looks like. Or if, if you let your life be defined by your career. What happens if you lose your job? You get laid off, you, you get fired. Do we just take you out back and shoot you? I mean... Well, done that job, I guess they're just no use anymore. Again, there, there's nothing wrong with being a good parent. There's nothing wrong with having a job that you love and everything, but that can't define you. Don't be defined by what you do. You've got to be defined by who you're becoming. As followers of Jesus, we're called to become more and more like him. That each and every day that you wake up, the, the goal is to, by the end of the day, be more like Jesus. That I've become more and more and more like Him. And so as you sit down and you start to clarify what a win will look like for you, I want you to think about character type of issues. Because see, character is something that you'll be able to take to heaven with you. Your career, you won't. So sit down and, and ask yourself, am I, am I more concerned with what I'm becoming than I am with what I'm doing? You know, one of the, the great tests that you can use for all this is found in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 to 23. We call these the, the fruit of the Spirit. It says this, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And You've heard me say this before. This list of nine attributes here this isn't something you work on. This isn't something that you say, oh, I'm going to try to become more loving, or I'm going to try to become more gentle, or I'm going to try to become more peaceful. Now, this says that the fruit of the Spirit is. In other words, the Spirit is working in you, and the, the fruit of the Spirit working in you yields love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You don't work on these things. These aren't things to put on your to-do list. These are things that because you've surrendered your life to Jesus, you've given Him your whole life. You're on His agenda. You're defining a win based on what He says a win looks like. Because you're now doing that, the yield, the, the fruit, is each one of these attributes. So again, sit down and, and ask yourself, okay, who is it that I'm trying to become? Life isn't just about accomplishing a bunch of stuff. All the, the stuff That'll be the result of you becoming more and more like Jesus. Number three then. What will I invest my life in besides me? What are you going to invest your life in besides yourself? You know, I think one of the greatest stories of transformation in Scripture is Peter. You know, as you look at, at Peter, he starts to follow Jesus. And Peter's all about himself. It's, what do I want to do? What's my agenda? <clears throat> what do I want to say? What do I want to do? And he did. I mean, he just, he just shoot off at the mouth or, you know, 
night Jesus got, you know, crucified or he was being arrested, you know, Peter pulls out his sword and lops a guy's ear off and everything. I mean, Peter was about Peter. But then after Jesus' death, his burial, his resurrection, we just see this dramatic transformation in Peter that he's like, you know what? It's not about me anymore. I'm going to invest my life in making sure that every single man, woman, boy, and girl gets the opportunity to hear this good news that Jesus died for our sins, that Jesus wants to give a brand new life, a fresh start. In fact, Peter was so invested in the cause that he gave his own life. Peter ultimately was crucified, and he got actually crucified upside down because he said, I, I'm not worthy to be crucified in the same way that Jesus was. But before he did that, Peter was the leader in the early church, you know, the very first church planter. And he, he gets this, this new church started, the church there in Jerusalem. And as Christianity starts to spread, we can, we can thank Peter for a lot of that. And Peter just gave such great instruction and, and just inspiration to the early church. In fact, one of the things he says is this in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. Peter says, God has given each of you some what? God has given each of you some special abilities. Cool. I mean, my mom always told me I was special, but I mean, now, now God's saying it, right? Is it like I'm Superman or what? No, that, that's superpowers, not, not special abilities, okay? The question is this, though. God's given you special abilities, but who are you using those special abilities for? And so Peter continues on and he says this. He says, God has given each of you some special abilities. Be sure to use them to do what? To serve others. You know, there's two types of people in the world. There's givers and there's takers. And unfortunately, so many people are about me, 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 I, 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 more, more, more. Give, 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 give to me. And that was Peter at the beginning of his life. But he was so transformed by who Jesus had allowed him to become that he's like, no, I'm just going to give and give and give and give to the point that I'll actually give my own life for the sake of the cause. I'm going to invest my time. I'm going to invest my abilities in the kingdom of God. So the question for you is, who or what are you investing your life in? Now, some of you are going, Gilbert, I don't really, you know, know about all this. Uh, why, why, why would I even want to do it? Why can't I make it just about me? Well, remember when Jesus said that the first command was to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength? Remember, he didn't stop there, did he? We, we learned that in the last series that I did here, a different context. But here's what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 22, verse 39. He says, the second greatest command is just as what? Just as equally important as the first one. And it is this, love others just as much as you love yourself. And so this isn't just a, a suggestion. This is a command from Jesus himself. That first of all, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then the second is equally important. Love your neighbor just as you love yourself. 
basically, love God, love people. Love God, love people. What do you get up tomorrow and do? You love God and you love people. What are you going to do on Wednesday? You're going to love God and love people. What are you going to do next Saturday? You're going to love God and love people. What about next year? You're going to love God and you're going to love people and you're just going to keep doing this for your whole life. The agenda of every single day is how can I love God with more and more and more of my heart? How can I become more and more like him? How can I keep him at the center of my life? And then God, how can I go out and love more and more people? Here at Exponential, we call it what? You matter, right? That every single day you need to find ways that you just go out into the Harrisburg community and show people that, look, you matter to God and you matter to me. You just find things to do. It doesn't have to be big things, just little, small, simple things to show people and communicate with people that you matter to God and you matter to me. And that means that as you continue to do that, and that stacks up, you're going to make a difference with your life. Now, some of you are going, Gilbert, I'll, I'll never be a world changer like you talk about all the time. I don't believe that for a minute. That's nonsense because Peter here said that God has given you special abilities. There's something that you can do on this planet better than anybody else can. You need to figure out what that is and, and do it. But even if that were true, look at what Mother Teresa once said. She said, not all of us can do great things, but we can all do small things with great love. Again, that's what you matter's all about. You don't have to go out and like, oh, you know, 2,000 people got saved today because of something I said. That'd be great, but, you know. Break a neighbor's lawn. Help the lady at the, the grocery store that's struggling with getting her car or getting her groceries into the car. Write a, a note to somebody that you know is struggling. Give 50 bucks to a, a young couple that just got married and, and you know that they don't even know where their next you know, meal's coming from. You're like, man, I, I've got 50 bucks. I, I, I'll buy their groceries for them. Every single day, say, God, how, how can I use my time more wisely for you? How can I use my, my income more wisely for you? How can I use my, my time and my abilities and, and every single, single thing that you've given me, how, how can I use them for you and for your glory? Who can I invest in? And so here's what I want to encourage you to do this week. Start to wrestle through these questions. Who's going to be at the center of my life? Who is it that I'm, I'm trying to become? And who is it that I'm investing in. And then write it down. Just one sentence or two sentences. And at this point, it's still a rough draft. Again, we're, we're going to take the rest of the series to, to keep unpacking this and, 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 and helping you to, to, to flesh it all out. But at least, at least get a rough draft this week. Really pray about these things. Who am I investing in? Who do I want to become? Who's going to be at the center? You know, I'm reminded of uh, the story of when Apple computers was just getting started. Steve Jobs was, of course, the inventor and, and the founder. And um, the company was starting to get a little bit of, of traction. But Steve realized that, you know, I, I'm a great inventor and, and all that kind of stuff, but I, I need somebody to actually run the day-to-day -day business. I, I need an actual CEO of this company. 
And so he, he took, a, took a shot on a meeting with this guy. His name was John Scully. And John was the actual president of Pepsi at the time. And Pepsi had grown into this big sort of global brand. Remember, it used to be like Coke was the big brother and Pepsi was you know, the, 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 the smaller brother, the younger brother. But then John Scully was the one that had come up with the Pepsi challenge. Remember that? And that's when Pepsi sales really grew and they sort of became equal companies. So John Scully's in the midst of all this. He has great success. He has you know, a big salary that he's being paid by Pepsi. And here comes little old Steve Jobs. And he's trying to convince him why he needs to, to come and leave behind this cushy Pepsi job to be a part of Apple. And Scully in his autobiography is talking about, why would I want to do this? I'm part of this big company and you're just this little small company. And I'm getting paid like millions and millions of dollars. And you want me to come for just peanuts. And he was convinced that he wasn't going to do it until Steve Jobs looked at him and he said this. Are you going to spend the rest of your life just selling sugar water? Or do you want to come with me and change the world? The rest is history. Scully resigned and we know where Apple's at today. And what I want to ask you is this. Are you really going to spend the rest of your life just trying to survive? Are you really going to spend the rest of your life just chasing after the success that the world says you should be chasing after? Are you going to live a life of significance? A life that people will be able to look back on not just when you're gone, but like decades and centuries from now and say this world is a different place because they lived. Are you going to leave a legacy? If so, you, you've got to start wrestling through these questions that we talked about today. You've got to start writing these things down so that you have what a clearly defined win looks like. Here's the goal. I, I want you to get that, that sentence so that one day when you die and people are standing at your funeral, they'll read that sentence and everybody in the room will go, yep, that is exactly what they were about. That, that's who they were. So again, who are you going to center your life around? Who are you trying to become? Not just what are you doing. Then who are you going to invest in? How are you going to invest? You know, for me personally, I've shared this story before, but my like one sentence is actually scripture. Because I had two businesses when I was young and was successful in those. But then God spoke to me. And he said, turn to 2 Corinthians 4.18. And so I did. And it says this, so fix your eyes not on what is seen, but what's unseen. For what is seen is only temporary. What's unseen is eternal. It was in that moment I realized that the rest of my life, who was I going to center my life around? Jesus. I mean, I already knew that. But who was I going to try to become? I was going to try to become somebody that thought all the time more about the eternal things 
than just the temporal things. And that was my call to ministry, that I was going to invest my life in people, that it wasn't about me and making a big income anymore. It was about others. And so that no matter where God said to go, I was going to go. And no matter what God said to do, I was going to do. No matter how crazy it sounded like, you know, moving to Harrisburg and starting a new church from scratch. And so my, my life has become about investing in, in people, you guys, and, and others. So that hopefully one day when I'm gone, people will be able to say, this world is different because he lived. You're going, yeah, but you're a pastor, you know, you have a bigger opportunity, a bigger platform. Well, yeah, my, my platform may be different and it, it's a little bigger, but that doesn't mean you can't make a difference. and You can't leave a lasting legacy. I'll wrap up with this. Two young boys back at the turn of the 20th century. One day went into a, a church building. It was packed. There's nowhere to be seated. But an usher noticed the two boys and he said, here boys, I'll, I'll find you a seat. And it was during that church service that the one little boy heard about the good news of Jesus. And he prayed and he asked Jesus to forgive him of his sins and to be the leader of his life. And that little boy, even at a young age, realized that this is what I'm going to give my life to. That little boy's name was Billy Graham. Billy Graham has grown up and led probably more people to Jesus than anybody else in all of human history. And again, we'll, we'll look back on Billy Graham and, and we'll say, wow, what a, a huge difference he made in this world that his life mattered. But here's what you need to understand. When it comes to heaven and it comes to rewards in heaven, that usher, he's going to be rewarded just as much as Billy Graham is. Because he did something that made a difference in somebody else's life who then had the bigger platform. See, it's not about the size of your platform. It's about you every single day being very, very consistent in going out and sharing with as many people that you matter to God and you matter to me because you don't know who's going to be the next Billy Graham. That's not up to you. Your job is just to be faithful and invest your life in others as you center your life around Jesus. So again, this week, clarify a little bit more. What does a win look like? And then start to live it out. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day and this opportunity that you've given us to come together Lord, we, we looked at so many examples at the beginning of the message of teams or, or people that it, it looked like they should have won, but yet they didn't. And Father, that's just sporting events or elections, those things in the grand scheme of things, that, that doesn't really matter. But our lives do matter, God. And so help us not to, to have a picture in our, in our mind of what a win in life looks like that isn't according to your will and according to your agenda. So Lord, help us to, to dig into your word and take these three questions that we looked at today and, and use your word as a, a filter to figure out, okay, what does a win look like in my life? And then Lord, to start to live that out.
Father, you have called each and every one of us that are here today to be world changers. And again, it may be that people can look at us and say that we were the world changer, but again, it may be that we're just the usher that helps to give Billy Graham a seat. But in your eyes, God, we are still a world changer in that way. And we'll be rewarded for that. So Lord, help us just to be faithful. Faithful to your voice. Faithful to your call. Faithful to your plan and your purpose for us. Help us not to be about our own agendas. But all about your will. And your way. Jesus, thank you in advance for how you're going to use us to make a difference. Pray all these things in Jesus' name.